Hello everyone and welcome to this new world politics program. Today in the studio there are so me, Lucas, Emeni, Francesca. And today we will speak about an important topic, a sad topic, a big topic. I don't know what the adjective that we can use, but today we will speak about the Uyghurs. So I had first the idea of this subject. So I'm going to first explain why I wanted to talk about this subject. Mm -hmm. And well, the first reason is that it's a big thing that is happening right now yeah. in China. And uh, well, against human rights, well, we will talk about <coughs> it later, but there are very bad things that are happening. And the second thing about that is that, okay, something really big is happening, but very few people are, um, well, no. even know that it exists. Yeah. Even among the volunteers, when I just started to ask about this subject, almost no one, except I think Francesca, almost. <laughs> Thank you, Francesca. <laughs> but before, I think almost nobody knew about this subject. And for me, it was, well, really important to talk more about it. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, today I'm happy to, to take part in this program because, as you said, I didn't know so much about this situation because before you, Lucas, proposed this topic. And um, until recently, the um, Uyghurs of Xinjiang, um, and for who don't know this, it's a region of Western China, uh, were little known outside the circle of experts. And today, the Muslim and Turkish-speaking minority has become the symbol of the repression carried out by the by the Beijing regime. So, um, the symbol of the repression carried out by the Beijing Be Beijing regime, and consequently, a crucial issues of international politics. Because I mean, this uh, topic affects uh, both US, um, USA, Europe. So it's something regard international politics balances. Yeah, yeah, we will talk also about it later, but we as simple citizens, European, or even, okay, Tunisia is not really Europe, but <laughs> around these, like, citizens, simple citizens of the world, uh, we maybe have an impact on the, what's happening for the Uyghurs, and uh, maybe we don't know about it. So, okay, maybe first let's talk about who are the Uyghurs. Mm -hmm. So the Uyghurs are Turkish ethnic group originating from from and culturally affiliated with the general region of Central and East Asia. The Uyghurs are recognized as native to the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region in Northwest China, and they are considered to be one of China's 55 officially recognized ethnic minorities. The Uyghurs are recognized by the Chinese government as a regional minority and the titular people of Xinjiang. Um, about the, some numbers, so there are about 12 million Uyghurs, mostly Muslim, living in Xinjiang, which is officially known as, well, like I said before, Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, or Xua. And the Uyghurs speak their own language, which mm -hmm. is similar to Turkish, and see themselves as culturally and ethnically close to Central Asian nations. They make up less than half of the Xinjiang <coughs> populations. Recent decades have seen a mass migration of Han Chinese, Chinese ethnic major majority, into Xinjiang, um, allegedly orchestrated by the state to delete the minority population there. China has also been 
accused of targeting Muslims' religions figures and banning religions practice practices in the region, as well as destroying mosques and tombs. The Uyghurs genocide. What does that mean? Genocide, like for example, during the Second World War, uh, genocide Jew- of uh, Jewish. Jew- Jewish people. So it's a um, killing, mass killing of people. But uh, you kill people for like not random people. For example, the Jews because they were Jewish, and uh, okay, especially okay, okay, this okay. type of people. Understand? But massive, like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And the goal is to <coughs> erase everything, so to kill all of them and to erase every uh-huh, sign okay. of them, every culture that they yeah, have, yeah. like to erase everything. It's right. against the cultural the symbol, no? Yes, yes. Yeah, the goal is this. really to erase the fact that they even existed before. Yeah, I understand. The Uyghur genocide is the characterization of the series of human rights abuses committed by the government of China against Uyghurs and other ethnic and religious minorities in Xinjiang as genocide since 2014. Uh, the Chinese government, under the dire- direction of the Chinese Communist Party (CCP), during the administration of CCP General Secretary uh, Xi Jinping, has pursued policies and that incarcerated more than an estimated one million Muslims, the majority of them Uyghurs, in the internment camp camps without any legal process. This is the largest scale detention of ethnic and religious minorities since World War, the Second World War. Mm. And I want to remind you guys Mm -hmm. that outside of China, significant diasporic communities of uh, Uyghurs exist in the Central Asian countries of Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan and uh, Uzbekistan and in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Smaller communities are found in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Germany, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Canada and the United States. So we will talk about these minorities in China, but we have to remind that they exist also outside China. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're going to talk about the history Historically, the term Uyghurs mean alias, imitated, was applied to a group of Turkish-speaking tribes living in modern-day Mongolia, generally identified with the Tai-Le, in term often connected with the Tinkling of the Chinese chronicles, together with the Kok, the Uyghurs were therefore one of the largest and the most important Turkish-speaking groups to inhabit Central Asia. They formed a tribal federation ruled by John John from 416 to 545, uh, by the from 541 to 565, only to the subdued by the Kante of the Turk Gok. The Uyghurs of today derive from the genetic mixture, mixture between the ancient Indo-European settled uh, inhabitants of the various city houses of the region, uh, such in, in the southern part of the Tarim Basin and Tokari and Tokar in the northern part, and the Turkish populations who migrated there. 
Buddies and uh, mm, Manichins of uh, Uyghur, Kaganate, following the destruction of the Kaganate but by the Genisei career, this part, Genisei Kyrgyz in the 19th century, and then the Karakanid Muslims in the 11th century. Both nomadic people spoke Turkish languages, with which they exported to the area, area supplanting the local Indo-European languages. The morphotype of today's Uyghurs um, of the genetic mixture between Indo-Europeans and Turks. In fact, there are both green or blue eyes and light hair, typical characteristics of the Western Asian Eurasian Eurasian morphotype, very present in current Slavic peoples, for example, and dark eyes, eyes with Mongolian folds and straight black hair, typical characteristics of the Eastern Eurasian peoples. As the Turkish people were before embarking on the on their migration and as the Mongols still are today, genetically and linguistically similar to the Turks. So we talked a bit about the origins of Uyghurs and who are they. So maybe now, before going further into the real subject that is no. about the persecution, let's talk now about the Uyghur independence. So Francesca, can you tell us more about this? Mm-hmm. So the um, Uyghur independence independence activity originated in the first half of the 20th century and was proposed as an alternative to the hegemony of the world wars of Xinjiang. During the Chinese Civil War, attempts were made twice to establish an independent state. First in 1934 with the creation of the First Republic of East Turkestan. Then with the Second Republic of East Turkestan established 10 years later. The Second Republic, however, was annexed to the People's Republic of China in 1949. Since 2001, the global The global fight against Islamic terrorism has also involved some of the Islamic-inspired political groups closest to the Uyghurs. As a result, the Chinese repression of independence movements intensified. Many Uyghurs in exile denounced the systematic violation of human rights by the Chinese authorities who repress all forms of cultural expression of the Uyghur people. During 2018, controversy, controversy intensified over the detention of large numbers of Uyghurs in transformation through education camps and the exact nature of, nature of these camps. The Chinese government claims, claims that these are educational institutions. In 2018, The online newspaper Bitter Winter published videos that it claims were filmed inside the camps and showing prison-like structures. There is no shortage of controversy over the ultimate reasons for this policy. Mm-hmm. China says re-education. Measures are necessary to prevent radicalization and terrorism, while Western scholars think that what worries President Xi Jinping's government is a religious renaissance in the region that has taken the authorities by surprise. In the year 2020, it emerged that the, that the 
Uyghurs were forced by the government to leave their homes to work locked up and underpaid in the factories of various multinationals such as Nike and Tommy Eiffel. In opposition to Uyghur independentism, the Chinese government has strengthened the incentives for the inclusion of the of ethnic Han Chinese groups in the region, continuing a practice already undertaken by China between 1960 and 1970. According to statements by some NGOs, the Chinese authorities are responsible for the repression of Uyghur cultural traditions and for the violation of human rights towards members of this ethnic group. I think this was, well, first really informative and good to know at the beginning to understand a bit better what's the situation because like we said I think I will talk more about uh, two things later that you, you said uh, the first thing uh, is that China is saying that it's re-education camps and that uh, it's to fight against terrorism that we are mm. doing this this is an important point to understand why the Chinese government is doing that And second point is about the multinationals and that they are forced to work there. And I will talk more about uh, all these big companies, famous companies yeah. that are told by newspapers, told that, okay, these companies are involved indirectly or because of these factories, like you said, in this thing. Mm-hmm. So this is a sort of um, overview about yeah, <laughs> the yes. topic, but uh, go on and uh, talk about what happened later. So the repression yeah. of July 2009, uh, following the death of two Uyghurs in a clash between Han and Uyghurs on June 26, 2009 in Xiaowan, an Uyghur demonstration in Urumqi. Urumqi, in the state of Xinjiang, organized in honor of the two victims of uh, Shawan, has degenerated into a series of ethnic clashes. The clashes involved both uh, the two ethnic groups, both the Uyghurs and themselves and the Chinese police, uh, with a final number of 184 victims, of which 137 of Han ethnicity and, 66 and 46 Uyghurs, as well as the arrest of 1,434 people, of which 200, 200 are on trial and face the death penalty. There were also repercu- uh, repercussions at uh, the international level. Parallel to the clashes in, in Xinjiang, protests took part in the Netherlands and in Germany at Chinese diplomatic offices. The persistence of the protests forced Chinese President Hu Yantao to return home from the Italian G8 in July 2009. Among those responsible for the ethnic clashes, the Chinese government has indicated Rebika Kadir, a Uyghur entrepreneur and activist in exile in the United States, who has, however, denied any responsibility for what happened. But when we talk, um, I mean, this, uh, this program will be focused um, on the cultural genocide of the You, uh, of the Uyghurs, right? But um, can you define this concept? I mean, what does it mean? Cultural genocide, genocide of the Uyghurs. Cultural 
Uh, genocide of Uyghurs is the name given to a series of human rights violations perpetrated by the Chinese government under the leadership leadership of the Chinese Communist Party during the administration of TTP Secretary General Xi Jinping against Uyghurs and other ethnic and religious minorities in Xinjiang uh, and its environs. Since 2013, the People's Republic of China has uh, pursued a policy that has resulted in over a million Muslims the majority of them Uyghurs, being detained in the reduction camps without legal proced- uh, proceedings in, the what in, uh, in what is believed by some to be the largest minority detention, ethnic and religion since the Second World War. Critics of these polici- policies have described them as a sinization of Xinjiang and call it an ethnocide or cultural genocide. While the Parliament of United States, Canada, United Kingdom, the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, Lithuania, various activities independent NGOs, experts of human rights, academics, Governments, officials, and the East Turkestan governments in exile have recognized it as a genocide. In particular, the concentration of Uyghurs in a state-sponsored re-education comes estimated at 1 to 3 million people out of, out of about 11 million Uyghurs present in China. The repression of Uyghurs' relation religion and cultural practices, indoctrination, political abuse, severe mistreatment and testimony of, of human rights violation, including first um, sterilization and con- contraception, which, had, um, which has led many media outlets also to speak of demographic yes. genocide, given the steep drop in the birth rate in areas of China with a large portion of Uyghur's population. So, guys, did you read something about testimonies uh, of these co- so-called concentration camps, acts of rape, torture, murder, and others? Unfortunately, yes. That's also why I wanted to well, to talk about this subject. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, like we said a little bit before, government policies have included the arbitrary detention of Uyghurs in state-sponsored internment camps, forced labor, suppression of Uyghur religious practices, political indoctrination, severe ill-treatment, forced sterilization, forced contraception, and forced abortion. Chinese government statistics reported that from 2015 to 2018, Birth rates in the mostly Uyghur regions of Hotan and Kashgar fell by more than 60%. In the same period, the birth rate of the whole country decreased by almost 10%. Chinese authorities acknowledged that birth rates dropped by almost a third in 2018 in Xinjiang, but denied reports of forced sterilization and genocide. Birth rates in, in Xinjiang fell a further 24% in 2019, compared to a nationwide decrease of 4.2%. 
So what does it mean, these few numbers? Is that is even the Chinese government that is saying these numbers, and we can clearly see that in the mainly Uyghurs region, so in the Xinjiang, there is really a drop of numbers of birth rates. And there is at the same time reports that are saying that, okay, in this camp, it's not really education camps and people are forced to like forced abortion, forced contraception, like mm -hmm. everything. And still with all that, the Chinese government is saying that it's not related like yeah. this. Because, okay, it's also, we also need to take in consideration that in the whole China during the same period, the birth rate also decreased, but less. A lot less. Mm -hmm. So now we can maybe read like a testimony. I found like it's uh, kind of new and it's one of the uh, only real testimony that we have from the inside of what happened. So it's from an article from a newspaper, Sky News, that I found on the internet. And um, it says that Uyghur Muslims were tortured, ordered to be raped by fellow prisoners and hanged from cell sellings as part of China's re-education program in Xinjiang province and this is said by a ch former Chinese police officer and in what appears to be the first eyewitness testimony by a Chinese official the former detective spoke to the CNN about the extreme abuse used to extract confessions from around 2 million Uyghurs round up by the Chinese state. So speaking from an undisclosed location in Europe, the man identified only as Zheng, so it's not his real name, but they, so we don't know where he is, we don't know his real name, and when he's speaking, we're like, we can see uh, scre a screenshot of, for example, the, when he was speaking, and he was wearing a mask, he had like sunglasses, and even his face was a bit, uh, uh. Not, a bit not clear. Like, like everything is done to not recognize it because, okay, he knows that if he, for example, go back to China, he'll probably die, like disappear. But so this man um, said that he worked in one of hundreds of brutal internment camps scattered throughout far western in China. And so Zhang said that he was initially an enthusiastic supporter of a Chinese crackdown on the Muslim Uyghur ethnic group, mm -hmm. joining one... 150,000 police people tasked with staffing detention centers in Xinjiang province. So it's also, like I will explain before, I don't know if it's clear for the moment, mm -hmm. but he, what he was saying is that at the beginning, okay, 150,000 policemen were asked all over China to go there to do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he said that at first, uh, well, he was, and probably also like a lot of other policemen, mm, quite almost happy to do that job because uh, like of a propaganda of China who was working very well and he was really thinking that okay he was it was a fight against terrorist people and so but it was his duty things mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. and so in this interview that he had with CNN he said every new detainee so every new prison prisoner if it yeah prisoner we can call prisoner yeah and, and was beaten during their first interrogation to obtain a confession, including men, women, and children as young as 14. And Jung said he and his colleagues would kick them, beat them until they are bruised and swollen, mm -hmm. and until they kneel on the floor crying. Other torture techniques used included waterboarding, sleep deprivation, and hanging from ceiling for days, 
as well as China's tiger chair, in which a, a subject's hands and feet are tied to a chair, sometimes for days. This man, Jiang, also described using electric buttons on prisoners. He said, if you want people to confess, you use the electric button with two sharp tips on top. He also said in an interview, we would tie two electrical wires on the tips and set the wires on their genitals while the, pers the person is tied up. Another common tactic included forcing prisoners to gang rape their fellow male detainees. Everyone uses different methods. Some even use a raking bar or iron chains with locks. Giant said police would step on the suspect's face and tell him to confess. And I think, yeah, it's a bit maybe hard to hear, but I think yes. it's really important to say, like, because um, what he said, because if he's probably like really a police officer yeah. that he have done that, okay, he participated in that, but he have the courage to testify today. And it's one of the only real testimony that we have about what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if we talk, for me, if we talk just about the general situation without saying, okay, all the things that these people are enduring during this time yeah, in, in uh, these prisons. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say something that um, in my country, uh, I told you um, after, like, we know that we heard about it, not in the media, not on the TV, but for example, in Facebook or something, we heard about this uh and human things yeah, but I, I don't know if you have like a real footage or videos about uh, this specific thing about Uyghurs because that's also the point <laughs> that uh, before that we have I think very few photos about um, yeah, they did people that are saying that okay this photo uh, was taken inside a camp but the problem is that we have very few proof at the end that okay there is really yeah. something happening yes. I, I saw also when I was searching that uh, Google Earth screenshot about the, the place for the camp and between I think 2018, 2020 and 2021 and you can see that okay at first it was um, a little camp and then it's becoming bigger and bigger like at the beginning there was nothing and now it's a really huge thing so okay China can say it's a re-education camp but if we don't have any other proof we can mm -hmm. say okay maybe it's that yeah so i think i don't know about italy and tunisia but in france i know that uh, okay maybe they said a little something about the situation when everyone knew finally that okay something was happening mm -hmm. but i'm sure that uh, our president at least in france didn't condemn really didn't do a speech where he was saying that okay i'm condemning what's happening in china or mm -hmm. things like that for example, the United States have done that. They have said, okay, what's happening? It's bad, you should like stop. And I think that even, uh, they had even taken some measures about, uh, okay, kind of fines, or I don't know, policies against China in order for them to, to say, okay, you need to stop that. It's even, okay, it's not big steps, mm -hmm. but some countries have done something. Mm -hmm. But in France, for example, yeah, I'm almost sure that, okay, maybe they said that what's happening is bad because you cannot say otherwise, but mm. they didn't take position to say, okay, I'm against this, I'm against China, because today is also maybe the point, like, how can you be against China when you see that everything that is almost created comes from China? Like, China is really strong economy, and so yes. a lot of countries need the China. But one of the other thing that we don't hear also on the news is that, okay, Europe, for example, needs China, 
But the opposite is also true. China needs Europe because if China is producing everything but selling nothing, it will not work. So it's both both. Mm-hmm. But both. they have a lot of Chinese. So <laughs> yes, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that if they are producing a lot, but if nobody is buying them what they are producing, they will like crumble. It will be like very big impact on the economy. Yeah. And I think for that, that Europe in general is stronger. I mean, if there, is, there are some policies that break a bit the links between China and Europe, China will probably suffer more from that than Europe. Because mm-hmm. Europe can be well, it can be kind of independent. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, is, uh, Europe is importing a lot of things from uh-huh, other yeah. countries and China, but uh, we are producing a lot of things in Europe already. Okay, so coming back, unfortunately, to the torture and to about what this police officer, so-called Jiang, said. Um, he said that the torture in police detention centers stopped only when the suspect confessed. So confessed, it means, okay, there are... Okay, you confess because you have to, not because you are saying the, the truth. But anyway, at which time they were transported to one of the hundred internment camps mm-hmm. referred to as vocational training centers by Beijing. And Jiang also described the tactics used by police officers as they swept Uyghurs communities in Xinjiang. Packs of police officers armed with rifles went house to house, pulling people from their homes before handcuffing and hooding them. They would threaten to shoot the arrestees if they resisted. We took them all forcibly overnight, he said. If there were hundreds of people in one county in this area, then you had to arrest these hundreds of people. Those rounded up were accused of terror offenses. But Jiang believes none of the hundreds of people he arrested had committed a crime. They are ordinary people, he said. Jiang was deployed three or four times to work in Xinjiang during the hate of China's strike-hard anti-terror campaign. And like I said before, he said that he was eager to travel to Xinjiang to help defeat terrorism. His boss, when asking him to take the post, told him, separatist forces want to split the motherland, we must kill them all. I want to understand how they are defeat uh, terrorism and they do the terrorism. No, because it's not really like terrorism and... uh, well, it's all, all about propaganda. Uh, advertisement that will make you thi- think as the way the government wants to. So China is using every means necessary. But uh, even without thinking about it, sometimes you are believing things that are maybe not true, but that the Chinese government wants you, wants you to, be, to believe. And this was like the perfect example unfortunately of this because this as a police officer really thought that there was a really big concentration of people who were becoming terrorists in this province of China and so that they wanted they know they needed to go there and to well kill them in order to I know restore like China how it is to to have a China safe yeah, I know. So this was the propaganda. The truth is that, okay, oh, they yes. are just normal people, but a minority, okay, different from yeah, yeah. And this that is, who are living yeah. there, and that the Chinese government want to erase them. That yeah. is the truth. But what he was believing yes, was, yes. okay, it was... Yeah, that's why I was, I was uh, like, uh, questioning. They said to help defend terrorism, but actually he do the terrorism itself in the reality. They kill, I mean, normal people. 
Yeah, but that's what he like said after he invest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he said. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. said just before, but he, after when he testified, he said that for him, all the hundreds of people that he arrested, none of them were terrorists or bad people. They were just ordinary people. Yeah, they just have uh, uh, um, different uh, religion or different yeah. uh, culture compared to the like uh, model Chinese version. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Buddhist or non. Uh, religion or nothing uh, and you do some they eat some things but no these are different they, they, we don't know that we don't need them they, we need to, to kill them all they not represent uh, China yeah. but they are part of China that. I'm gonna speak like a bit more about this about what China is saying about this mm -hmm. and what well yeah so this uh, strike hard is the well, strike hard against violent terrorism is kind of campaign mm -hmm. that was launched in mm -hmm. 2014 and focused on the mass detention of Uyghurs in Xinjiang. The Chinese authorities have repeatedly framed the crackdown as an anti-terror counter-insurgency in order to justify its effort to crush separatist unrest in Xinjiang and have denied the existence of human rights abuses there. I want to reiterate that the so-called genocide in Xinjiang is nothing but a rumor backed by ulterior motives and an outright lie, said Zhao Linjian, Chinese foreign ministry spokesman, during a news conference in June. The U.S. State Department has estimated that as many as 2 million Uyghurs and other ethnic groups have been detained in camps in Xinjiang mm. since 2017. And former detainees say the facilities are designed for mass re-education where inmates are forcibly taught Mandarin and instructed in Communist Party propaganda. Some testimonies from former detainees, and now from the ex-policeman Jiang, describe overcrowded cells, torture, and even the deaths of their fellow detainees. Along with the mass detention, Uyghurs have been subject to extensive controls and restrictions imposed on their religious, cultural, economic and social lives. Mm -hmm. This has seen an expansion of police surveillance to monitor signs of religious extremism that, is, that include growing a bird, having a prayer rug or owning books about Uyghurs and has extending and has extended to installing cameras in the homes of private citizens. Yeah, as I told you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so last part of this about testimony, I wanted to, to say something about, uh, well, what we said, because it's maybe we can ask, some people can ask if it's true. I mean, if this person, Zhang, that is said to be, to have been in China, mm -hmm, to be a police mm -hmm. officer, maybe it's not true. I mean, maybe yeah. they just took someone to like to lie about this. Yeah. But to verify his testimony, his policeman showed CNN his police uniform, official documents, photographs, videos, and identification from his time in China. And so CNN has submitted questions to the Chinese government about his accusations, but has not received a response. So for me, it's already like okay. If mm. China is not answering, is that okay? They don't have any excuse to say, no, this is mm -hmm. a lie. And from his new home in Europe, the former police officer says he's struggling to deal with his role in Xinjiang and is haunted by the camp system he participated in. He feels he is close to a lockdown. I am now numb, Jiang said. I used to arrest so many people. Saying he will never return to China 
because he will be arrested, so killed. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Jiang mm -hmm. hopes that those he arrested, beat, abused, and tortured can forgive him. I am guilty, and, I, and I'd hope that a situation like this won't happen to them again, Jiang said. I'd hope for their forgiveness, but it'd be too difficult for people who suffered from torture like that. How do I face these people, he added. Even if you're just a soldier, you're still responsible for what happened. You need to execute orders, but so many people did this thing together. We are responsible for this. was the last thing. And last thing that he said also is that uh, when he was inside this, he was doing that, there was, I don't know how he managed to like to go to Europe or things like that, but when he was arresting people, there was no really way for him to, to say, no, I don't want to do that, because those who were doing that were, okay, put also in the prison and tortured because they were said that they were not friends, but part of the terrorist groups, because, okay, they think the same or things like that. So, really difficult, difficult situation for him. Yeah. I mean... It's almost impossible to understand, okay, the situation there and also the situation for him because he contributed to arrest, torture, like a lot of people. And now he has, well, to live with it. So, guys, I think uh, I would like to underline uh, a part that for me is really important and interesting because it's linked with the cultural effects of the yogurt genocide. Mm. We can start talking about mosques. Uh, according to Beijing, there are about 24,400 mosques in uh, Xinjiang, an average of one mosque for every 530 Muslims. In 2005, Human Rights Watch reported that information in official sources suggests that retaliation against non-state-sponsored Chinese mosques was prevalent and that the Xinjiang party secretary said Uyghurs should not build new ones, places for religious activities. The Chinese government has prohibited mi minors from participating in religious activity in Xinjiang in a way that according to Human Rights Watch, has no basis in China Chinese law. According to analysis by the um, Garden, over, uh, no, over a third of a mosque and religions sites in uh, China suffered significant structural damage between 2016 and 2018, with nearly a uh, sixth of, of all mosques and um, Trying uh, completely raised to the ground. This includes the tomb of Imam Asim, a mud tomb in the Taklamakan desert, and, and according also to the uh, Guardian, uh, Uyghur Muslims believe that a repeated pilgrimage to the tomb uh, would uh, fulfill a Muslim's. A Muslim's obligation to complete the Hajj. Another important cultural effect is about education. In uh, 2011, uh, Xinjiang schools switched to bilingual education. Most of the teaching takes place in Mandarin Chinese with only a few hours per week devoted to, the, to uh, Uyghur literature. Mm -hmm. 
Despite this emphasis on bilingual education, few Han Chinese children are taught to speak Uyghur. According to the diplomat, Uyghur students are also increasingly being sent to residential schools far from their home communities, where they can speak Uyghur. According to a 2020 report by Radio Free Asia, mm -hmm. a U.S. government-founded 1994 news agency, monolingual education and Mandarin Chinese were in was introduced at an influential Kasgar High School that previously provided bilingual education. Another cultural aspect regards academic and religion inmates. The Uyghur Human Rights Project has identified at least 386 Uyghur intellectuals who have been detained and disappeared since early 2017 as victims of the, of the Chinese government's massive ethno-religious repression campaign in the Uyghur homeland. Uyghur economist Hilam Toiti was sentenced to life in prison in 2014. Amnesty International called his sentence unjustified and deplorable. deplorable. Rahal Dahut, a prominent Uyghur anthropologist who studied and preserved Islamic, Islamic shrines, traditional songs and folklore, was also imprisoned. Mm -hmm. Okay, now also I'm going to talk about, uh, about the symmetries. In September 2019, agents France Press, EFP, visited 13 destroyed symmetries in four cities and witnessed uh, witness and covered bones that still remained in four of them. By examining the uh, statal images, the news agencies... No, agency determined that the major destruction campaign had been running for more than a decade. According to an earlier AFP report, three cemeteries in, in Shiar County uh, were among a dozen of Uyghurs cemeteries destroyed in Xinjiang between 2017 and 2019. Human bones inherited from cemeteries in Xiar uh, um, County were dis, uh, discarded in January 2020. OCNE report based on analysis of Google map Stalet's images claimed that Chinese authorities destroyed more than 100 cemeteries in Xinjiang, mostly Uyghurs. TNN uh, linked as well the destruction of cemeteries to the government's campaign to control Uyghurs and Muslims more broadly. The Chinese government calls the cemetery and grave destruction relocations and says the dead are being reburned in a new standard, new cemetery standards. And now uh, about um, incentive for marriage. According to gender studies expert uh, Letta Hong Fitcher, the Chinese government has offered Uyghurs couples incentive to have few children and for women to marry people outside their ethnicity. And also, according to the coordinator of Uyghur's Human Rights Project, Zubaira Shamsuddin, the Chinese government want to erase Uyghur's culture and identity by rebuilding in its woman.
marriage between Uyghurs and Han Chinese are encouraged with subs- uh, subsidies from the government. In August 2014, local authorities in uh, Cherchen country, no, county, Kiyomo County, announced incentive measure to encourage Uyghur Chinese mixed marriages, including a cash reward of One. around $1,415 to the year of the first five years to such married couple and pre- preferential treatment in the workplace and housing plus free education for couples, parents, and offspring. They, they won't, like, uh, buy them. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. And now the last two uh, cultural aspects regard clothing, clothing and baby names. Mm-hmm. Uh, clothing, um, Chinese authorities discourage the use of uh, scarves, veils and other Islamic clothing in the region. And according and uh, about baby names, according to Radio Free Asia, in 2015, in Hotan, a list of prohibited prohibited names for children was promulgated called naming rules of for ethnic minorities banning names with potentially religious significance including islam quran mecca jihad imam satam high and medina uh, okay there's a name islam uh, male and female uh, quran is a uh, quran is uh, the holy book mecca it's um, a city where we're going to have like hajj and you to pray in Arabic Saudi. Jihad, it can be also named. Uh, imam, imam means uh, the like a pop, but it's not a pop, but the imam who person who lead in the pray and mm-hmm. have like a speech in the jama mosque. So then uh, this is a name, a male name. Uh, Medina, Medina as well is a city in Arabic Saudi. It's near to uh, Mecca. Mecca. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know what they are. They don't want that names. Yeah. Uh, even here in Europe, some uh, people who have uh, such names, like Arabic name, they have uh, problems to have visa or things. Uh, so, guys, when we talk about violation of human rights, we have to consider also this cultural aspect. It's not only something like about physical uh, yeah. torture or psychological, but mm-hmm. also cultural. So we spoke about culture, but also about moral. I mean, about the moral of big companies in the world. And they like um, hide the reality and uh, they think just about their like uh, desires. Yeah. After all this information about okay testimonies, what impact is very like physical and cultural, like you said, Francesca. Mm-hmm about cultural effects. Now I think what I also wanted in this program to talk about the, the impact that we have as Europeans and uh, how it's possible. And the fact is that we can be involved because a lot of companies and famous companies and brands are directly or indirectly using the work of the Uyghurs that are forced to work to well make their products And um, it was a really big thing, I mean, to realize that all these companies were um, inside this. And so that in a way, if we are buying, for example, clothes or things from these companies, we are in a way contributing to, the, to yeah. this 
genocide. Exactly. And so it was this big thing was in March 2020, so one year and a half ago. And it was a report titled Uyghurs for Sale from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, so SASP, revealed a vast network of companies complicit in the mass detention of Uyghurs and other Turkish people. And so this company institute, ASP, stated that it, f- it, had, that it had found 27 factories in nine Chinese provinces that are using Uyghur labor transfer for Xinjiang since 2017. Mm-hmm. This, those factories claim to be part of a supply chain of 83 well-known global brands. Oh my God. And the Fair Labor Association has also written a statement calling for an end of old forced labor in East Turkestan. The Fair Labor Association is deeply troubled by credible reports of forced labor and other violation of fundamental human rights in the Xinjiang region of China. We call for an immediate end to this violation and pledge to work collaboratively with government, civil society, unions and multilateral organizations to achieve these goals. And he, I will say some of the 83 brands listed on the report has been connected to those factories using forced labor. So in this list, we can find Adidas, Apple, BMW, Calvin Klein, General Motors, Google, H&M, Jack and Jones, Lacoste, Land Rover, Nike, Puma, Tommy Figure, Volkswagen, Zara, and a lot, lot of others. But for me, just to see this shortlist, it's a really, really, really famous brand. And yeah, well, this was called at least in France. I don't know in other countries, but the shame list about the Uyghur situation. And uh, thanks to this report, since then, some companies have changed their behaviors. And uh, it was mainly due to the actions taken by different people and as- associations against this situation. For example, in France, there is uh, the Euro deputy Raphael Glucksmann. So he's French, but he's working in the European Parliament. Mm-hmm. And he's fighting like every day for what he's saying, for the voices of those who are not heard. And the fight for the Uyghurs that he's ca- carrying out is one of his main goals. So for me, I, I'm really admiring this man because he's like fighting really hard for these people who nobody are talking about. He's also really concerned about recently about Afghanistan. I mean, about a lot of people and situations that sometimes we don't even know about, but where a lot of people are suffering mm-hmm. and where medias and governments are not talking about yeah, it exactly. or not enough. And well, about these brands, all these brands, you can find quite easily on internet today if you type a uh, shame yeah. list about Uyghurs, like or 83 brands about uh, Uyghurs, you will find. And well, okay, from the brands that I said, I'm not sure that anymore all these brands are still using the Uyghurs' work for their products because some of them had taken actions, but still a lot of them are. But coming back to this situation, mm-hmm. Approximately like two years ago, so I think approximately the same time that the report was published, some people created an online petition to protest against the treatment of Uyghurs in China. Mm-hmm. And this petition has been spread by the famous website change.org. I don't know if you know this website, but mm-hmm. it's a, like a famous website for petitions. For example, I'm signing petitions. Not often, I don't know, but 
sometimes and almost every petition comes from there i mean it's the website created only to like spread everywhere like the petitions in general and uh since the creation of this petition uh more than two million people in the world have signed it mm -hmm. means that okay some of people some of today okay two million i don't know if we can say it's a lot or not but at least two million people knows about these situations but still we need to do more to have a really an impact on our government at least and we can also like have personal impact by okay if we are doing some research and funding that uh, okay i'm not but for example if i w would buy all my shoes through nike for example and that i'm doing some research and then finding that okay it's a big company i like the company but they are still using the work of uh, uyghurs because they know that uh, with their policy even if a few people are not using them anymore, like we have so many people using their product that it will not change something. Yes. But I still can choose that, okay, I will not buy anything anymore from them. And it's personal like reason to say, yeah. okay, I'm protesting at this. For me, uh, personally, I like to wear, I like to buy uh, secondhand yeah. uh, fashion. Uh, so it, it can be like, um, rather you buy from night, or other brand invest your money and you just encourage them to produce more you can switch off to second hand and also the rich people give give uh, the no use clothes to other people and that way we can have new clothes yeah if we will talk about that we can speak like one hour more but like yeah. the program is almost ended so I don't know if Francesca wanted to say something more but before we end I wanted to say that uh, other things that uh, we can do about this is that, okay, I realized that I wanted to talk about this subject mm, yeah. a few weeks ago. I don't remember the day, but uh, there was the National Day of the Uyghurs or, uh, and also the National Day of China not so long ago. And uh, during that day, so the same man like French that I said, like Raphael Glucksmann, he was saying at that time, okay, one way to participate is that, okay, today is the day of, uh, like, China. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, the day to do something. So you can send email or messages to all the dirigents or to say, for example, what I did, me, what he proposed was on Instagram to, to tag so the, the people, like, uh, important people related to that. So it was the president of France, Emmanuel Macron, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, the first minister in um, in the United Kingdom. The I don't know in Italy what is the who is the who is ruling the country. First minister, president. Mario Draghi. Yeah, Mario Draghi, the president of the European Commission. Also, like all these people, because the aim of this action was okay. If thousands of people or dozens of thousands of people. Uh, like tagging the same people on the same day, maybe they would realize that, okay, a lot of people are concerned about this subject and that we need to do something. So it's not a direct action, but it's something that uh, maybe can have an action because it's the same thing as petition. I think that in France, if you have a petition that uh, is signed by more than one million people, then the deputies or some like people that are ruling the country have the obligation to to propose a law or to to think yeah. about to debate it like they have obligation to to do something about it because yeah. it means that a lot of people are concerned about this subject 
and democracy. So it means that, okay, if a citizen wants to talk about that, we need to talk about that. So this was kind of my last sentence for today to say that, okay, as individual, we cannot have a really big impact, but we can still do something. And maybe like that's a start. I mean, it's like for everything, if you don't start, you will not do you will not have an impact. Uh, yes, and we need, uh, because uh, like uh, every uh, global issues, issue, um, our contribution can be like increased awareness about the topic, yes. but yeah. uh, we need uh, um, international responses. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, I read articles about the reaction of uh, the United uh, States and Europe, but for example, uh, Russia is, I don't know how to explain, but like in favor to China. So this is the reality. We have to consider this yeah. aspect. Unfortunately. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you everyone for this program. I think that will be all for today. Thank you for your participation. Thank you too for inviting us. Thank you, um, yes, thank you, Lucas, and uh, we hope this program, um, the listeners like this program. Yeah. See you next uh, Tuesday from 10 to 12 on Radio Mushtar FM 89.6. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.